Hello, Fight Fans. It is Thursday, February 22nd, and this is the Fistianados Podcast. I'm Evan Murkowski, former HBO Sports marketing executive, giving you my take on what's happening on your screen and behind the scenes. Um, so quite a bit of action this past weekend. None of it really that great, to be perfectly honest, but let's go through a quick review of the fights. I do want to note here when we go through some of these viewing numbers that there was heavy competition due to NBC doing the Winter Olympics. Um, that did about 14 million viewers, so that's a really significant number on a Saturday night. It's basically a major college football game. Uh, the NBA had their slam dunk competition and their other all-star game festivities that did like 6 million viewers on TNT so those are both really big numbers I know it's a holiday weekend as well so some people are traveling just something to take into consideration over the weekend um, February 16th the Friday ESPN Ray Beltran unanimous decision over Paulus Moses I'm going to butcher this, uh, his name, but Egidus Kavaliuskis, TKO6 over David Avenisian. Shakur Stevenson was also on the card. Uh, ESPN averaged just over 700,000 viewers. The competition that night, Bellator on Paramount, did 476,000 viewers. Not a super entertaining night of fights, but a decent main event. Uh, and I credit Top Rank for putting on decent programming despite not having the highest level of fighters in this. Paulus Moses was someone they really dug out of nowhere, to be perfectly honest. One thing I'll say about I think the broadcast team is really coming together well. The overall broadcast, you know, the Ray Beltran storyline is very tired by this point. It still works for me. I think now you've got to move into a new phase with it. And and maybe if Ray Beltran does get the Lomachenko fight next, it's going to be a, a quick and soon-to-be-over storyline. But, you know, he's one of the good guys of the sport if you've been, if you've seen him around the wild card, if you've work with him on any level you know hbo we did a few programs uh you know there was a pete berg show that that examined his life and everything his story is not it's one that you just you fall for if you get to know him and if you get to know his story really well you know he's made some mistakes he's not perfect but you have to love his grit love his determination and love his comeback ability. Um, but back to top rank in general, you know, this is now two fights in a row. It, it will, even taking a step back, they're starting to define their product a little bit better. And I think there's two levels of ESPN fights that we're going to see. We're going to see a lot of promotion for some of their bigger fights, like we saw and I've referenced in the past with the Lomachenko Rigando fight. Then there's sort of this. Zerto Ramirez, Ray Beltran level fight. It looks like it's right now doing between seven and 800,000 viewers. Um, I don't know. You, you can't have too many of those in a row. And, and give Top Rank credit for 
moving careers along because I think you do need to do that. There's enough dates where they're they're taking on the criticism that many stables, the many promotional stables get is their big guys are fighting twice a year, once or twice a year. And give Top Rank credit for trying to change that. Their guys are now fighting three, four times a year. Uh, The problem with fighting three or four times a year is you're going to have some of these types of fights where it's not the highest level of opponent, which I think if you define your product well enough where there is two levels of fights, then that's fine. You just can't have too many of those in a row. Uh, I know March 10th, it's Valdez Quig. That to me is the higher level of fight. I, I'm a big, I, I like that fight on paper. Um, but I think what Top Rank needs to start doing, or really what Top Rank and ESPN need to figure out together, their lower level of fight needs to start hitting a million viewers or more for this to be a success, in my opinion. And that top tier should, the goal should be to hit that 2 million viewer mark. That's, that's a great number. But uh, if they can do that, they did not do that for the Lomachenko-Rigado fight. I think they can get there. And I think when you start to see that, those two levels of viewership, uh, that you can really take your fighters to the next level with that. That's a lot more exposure than you're getting on HBO or Showtime. The broadcast booth, I, I referenced it earlier. I think they've made a lot of progress here. I really like how it the sort of balance it has they you know they have a lot of room to grow but i like tim bradley i like mark kriegel and they're doing a good job in my opinion of combining that personal interest storyline with some solid boxing analysis but you know overall still not a great number uh tough weekend lots of competition they did fine um and and it was a decent fight too for any of the casual fans who tuned into it. Um, so Saturday night, PBC on Fox, uh, Devin Alexander with a draw with Victor Ortiz. Caleb Plant had uh, a boring unanimous decision victory over Porky Medina, and Carlos Balderas was on the card too. This card peaks at 1.53 million viewers. It averages just over a million, like 1.13 million. Uh, it's not a great number for, for PBC at all. You have to cut them a little bit of slack because it's a time buy. Fox is clearly not bought into this, you know, at least the way that PBC wants them to. Uh, They did not even beat the UFC on Fox's ratings from a week or two ago, which were the lowest ever that happened on Big Fox for the UFC. Um, Other networks, just to give you guys context, other networks are doing reruns of weeknight programming like comedies or dramas that come on during the week, and they're doing similar numbers to what Fox is doing here. So, you know, you, you really got to be doing better than this to if you want to get that network contract that the PBC is clearly looking for. I don't know that they're going to get it on Fox doing this, but, you know, again, they're fighting an uphill battle. It's Fox is not promoting this in a major way, and, and that you can really tell. Um, you can also... It's, some of this just has to do with the way that the fights are more infrequent uh, than what Top Rank's doing on ESPN. But when you start to compare, this is a good card in terms of comparison. Um, you saw Shakur Stevenson 
on ESPN and you saw Carlos Balderas on Fox. Balderas is in a four-round fight where he looks like he needs a lot of work. And Stevenson's in an eight-round fight. Now, they're both learning. And to be honest, I'm not a huge fan of either of these types of things. Showtime and HBO really wouldn't show this kind of a fight. And, and even the Caleb Plant was a learning experience fight, too. That's kind of, I think that's more of like the last undercard before you get to the televised portion of a Showtime or HBO card where Caleb Plant figures out one thing and then just kind of exploits it all night. As a viewer, it's tough to watch 10 or 12 rounds of stuff like that. You know, it's kind of the same thing with Stevenson, but I think I'm using it more as a prospect comparison. Top Rank is moving him along quickly, and you can tell. And you can tell that Balderas needs a lot more work. And it's not a knock on Balderas. I think it's just... Top rank has more inventory, and they're they're using it better in terms of how they're moving along their guys, you know, like Conlon and and, and like uh, Stevenson. So, just an interesting note of comparison. You know, the other notes of comparison here. You know, in the just looking at the commercial inventory. Uh, this is stuff that I pick up on. There's lots of the same commercials on. Like you'll see the same spot over and over again. Um, there, it, it looked to be what was a local TV ticket ad for the Wilder fight that was running nationally. That's a bad sign. Uh, I spoke about this on Kurt Emoff's podcast. You know about the time by model. That really means that the PBC is just not able to sell the ad inventory if they're running that kind of fight, or maybe Brooklyn Boxing had some kind of deal that they struck, but either way, there's no reason for me viewing this fight in Los Angeles to be seeing a, a New York ticket ad for the, for a March 3rd fight. One thing I will give them credit for is they ran a lot of promos for the Showtime fight on March 3rd that w- was clearly a Showtime spot, not a, a ticket spot. And what I mean by that is they're promoting the fight on Showtime rather than pr- asking people to go buy tickets. Um, that that Credit the PBC for that. Credit Showtime for that. They should be promoting that fight nationally as much as possible. I'll get to that later. I think that could be the fight of the year, in my opinion. That's a great fight on Showtime. And whether, it was, whether Showtime actually bought that out of Matori or they just worked out a deal with the PBC, um, that matters. Their announcing team, I actually think there's some talent there. They just need to find their rhythm. Some of that comes with reps. Um, Sean Grande is decent. Virgil Hunter is good at times. He still needs to work on giving faster sound bites as an announcer. Um, you know, I'm not sure what, you know, Robert Guerrero, I don't want to be too critical of him because I've liked some of the stuff he's done in the past, but I, he didn't sound great on this one. Um, I know it's tough for them. It's it's this. It's not quite as frequent, uh, so they're still developing camaraderie and 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 they're developing uh, just a working relationship together. But the other thing you see is like the background stories on these fighters. They're just not nearly as slick as they are. You know, Showtime and HBO, especially, I think, are, are still the industry leaders with this, but. ESPN is certainly doing a really good job with Kriegel. 
Uh, and you notice this by watching the Olympics too. NBC does a great job with this. You compare that to the Devin Alexander interview that really should have been a, an impactful moment. I mean, the guy was almost breaking out crying talking about, uh, you know, what either at best, you know, at worst you could describe it an addiction to pills. At best, it was just a problem that he had with them. Um, but, you know, a major moment in his life, and he has a really tough, you know, he's had a really tough life. So, you know, that didn't, it just didn't come across as, as professional and with as much drama as it would have been treated with other places. Um, so, you know, that's my take on the Fox fight. The Showtime fight, Danny Garcia, KO9 over Brandon Rios. David Benavidez had a unanimous decision over Ronald Gavril, and your Dennis Ugas had a KO seven over Ray Robinson. The fight averaged, or it peaked at five hundred fifty-eight thousand viewers. It averaged five hundred sixteen thousand. Um, not Showtime's strongest effort. Uh, there were a lot of good performances in the ring. Was not overall great television. I don't want to denigrate it too much, and I don't want to sound too negative, uh, because I think Showtime, the, you know, I still overall liked the Errol Spence card, uh, and I think if he makes a big fight, maybe against Danny Garcia at the end of the year, you know, then even this fight is is fine. Like, it's fine that Danny Garcia knocked out Brandon Rios. I didn't need to see it. I'd rather him fight either an up-and-comer or, you know, a more established guy. I think they do if and this isn't Danny Garcia is allowed to take a break from time to time and he did fight a really tough string of opponents at one point in his career but I think Showtime this number for viewership means that they really need to take a hard look at what they're doing with him they paid him a lot of money um, and there was a lot of viewing competition this evening you know, the NBA All-Star Game is is definitely directly siphoning off viewers from any kind of boxing, uh, you know, even a big-time boxing match. Like, th- there's just no question that, that a lot of people who would normally tune into boxing are tuning into the NBA. It, it's still just not a great number. Danny Garcia, if he's only going to fight this infrequently and produce this kind of number, you just got to take a hard look at what you're doing with them. Um, Given what is coming up on HBO on March 3rd, and I'll get to the previews later because I think the next two weeks of fights are probably two of, it's probably one of the stronger two-week periods we're going to see in boxing, especially for cards that haven't been given that much of a huge promotion yet. Uh, I wanted to do the deep dive this week into the 175-pound division for a couple reasons. Um, I think in terms of matchmaking, overall depth, and network affiliation, this is the most interesting division in boxing. It's really the only division where all three networks have a you know a major place in the division they like their foot's stuck in they're going to make continual fights it's the division where bob arum's you know quote unquote air quotes trade those are most likely to happen and just to be honest if they don't happen in this division 
they're never going to happen on an ASAD level. I'll reference it later, but Steve Kim had a great article talking about what's happening on May 12th with ESPN and HBO kind of fighting over a date and certain opponents. And, and that he does a great job of articulating the way that networks can get in the way of some of these big fights happening. This division is just, this is the, this is the test case for all of this. If this, if at the end of this year, or really maybe if by the end of next year, I know that's a lot of time, um, but I think there's a lot of fights that are just already set up to happen. But let's say year, year and a half, something like that. If you're not seeing crossover here, you're just not going to see it in the sport. Um, quick history of the division here. So HBO controlled almost all of the talent in this division up until really recently. You know, obviously several years ago, Showtime got Adonis Stevenson and, and they, you know, even before that, they had like they had Bernard Hopkins. They were investing in the division, but really it was just kind of a marginal level. And Stevenson was with Al Heyman. He jumped ship to Showtime. Uh, one of the things, though, Stevenson and Hopkins were always kind of lined up to fight. And you, you would have thought that Showtime was poised to control the division. But HBO really took a step forward. They kind of had the stranglehold on the division when Bernard Hopkins switched back to HBO and, and in order to make that Kovala fight. That was the real turning point. Showtime tried to get Chavez Jr. at some point, and Stevenson fought on a few PBC cards that were on Spike, and I think one was on CBS. They weren't on Showtime, though. HBO, though, really controlled the division after making that Kovalev-Hopkins fight. And then they focused on developing the careers of Kovalev, and then when Andre Ward came out of his contract dispute with Goosen and moved up in weight... It was really all about Kovalev and Ward. You know, towards the end of, this, of 2016, and then last summer, Kovalev and Ward fought twice. Ward's victories, ironically, really signaled the end of the HBO control of the division. He retired, and then the ensuing questions that Kovalev faced, you know, I guess there's a couple ways of thinking about it. You know, one is Kovalev really won the first fight, and in the second fight, there was low blows. And, you know, maybe he had some distractions out of the ring or whatever, didn't give his best performance, but he really finished one and one against Andre Ward. The other way of thinking about it is that Ward won a close fight in the first fight, uh, disputed but close, and knocked out Kovalev solidly in the second fight. Um, it's just interesting, though, because when HBO was making those fights, even though they weren't successful pay-per-view bouts, they were big fights. They meant a lot. They, you know, it was two of the top five pound-for-pound fighters fighting each other. And you just would have assumed that HBO would have controlled the division from, from there on out. But they didn't. And now we're at this super interesting point. So HBO, they still have Kovalev. He is now the WBO champ. They've got all the main event fighters. They've got Sullivan Barrera. You know, not all these guys are with main events, but Unieski Gonzalez, Isaac Chalemba, Joe Smith Jr. And then the, the big-time prospect is the WBA champ, Dimitri Bivol. Uh, 
Showtime. They still have Stevenson, who is the lineal and the WBC champ, even though he's really not fought anybody. They've got Elider Alvarez, Badu Jack, and, and Marcus Brown. You know, the Badu Jack Stevenson fight in May, I think, is one of the best fights that can be made in boxing this year. It's it's certainly the best fight that can be made in this division right now, realistically. And kudos to Showtime for making that fight. You know, while Stevenson, you know, Stevenson's a whole different issue, but he is the unquestioned lineal champ in terms of lineal for whatever that means. But I just want to read you guys the terrible competition that he's fought since beating Dawson for the title in 2013. Tavoris Cloud, Tony Bellew, Andrew Fonfara, Dmitry Sukhotsky, Saki Obika, Tommy Carpency, Thomas Williams Jr., and then Fonfara again. And more importantly, he's avoided Kovlev, Ward, and Hopkins. And he's had real opportunities to fight Hopkins and Kovalev. He could have fought Kovalev early on when they were both with HBO. So this fight against Badu Jack, it's actually, it's really meaningful. I mean, Badu Jack's a great fighter. And it's going to give the fans, you know, their first great test at seeing what Stevenson can do against a real opponent. And it could possibly force the lineal title to open up and, and have guys take real challenges you know again credit showtime for making a great fight in the division but it is a tough roadmap after that fight unless there's sort of it's so great that you got to see a rematch it you know Elider Alvarez is really the only other fighter who can you know he's been paid off numerous times not to fight Stevenson but he's really the only other major guy right now that's ready to jump in and and fight the winner so they're kind of out of options at least in the showtime universe once those fights happen you know with espn top rank has alexander Gvazdik, and he's fighting medi amar in march for whatever this interim wbc title is i think the big question with espn and top rank is is artur biterbiev a top rank fighter he was sort of in Showtime stable for a while. He might be with Al Heyman. No one really knows, but ESPN got his last uh, fight. Top Rank bid a lot of money on it. You would think he is joining Top Rank permanently. Uh, if he is, they've got a lot of options. So, Gvastik is also a top contender for the IBF and WBO. He's top three in WBA. He could probably force a fight somewhere. You have to imagine that ESPN's building to make a Gvazdik and, and Beterbiev fight either later this year or early next year. You know, maybe they have the guy's headline once or twice just to get some name recognition. But they're building towards that fight. And, you know, once that fight gets made, it's every network has sort of had their big moment this year. You know, I didn't even mention it earlier, but, you know, HBO is obviously, if, if Dimitri Bivol actually beats Sullivan Barrera on March 3rd, the momentum, and, and Kovalev, I'm assuming he'll win, but the momentum of Kovalev and Bivol, you know, that's a great fight 
in in the HBO world. So all three networks sort of have a great fight in the division that they're building to, and you know it it gets really interesting after that because what happens after this? None of these guys right now are big pay-per-view fighters, so the money's got to come out of network license fees. You know, this division also, it's not anyone's top priority. It's like an epicenter of some solid action, and that's why, as I said earlier, you've, you've got to think that horse training, it's got to happen here. You know, maybe ESPN and Showtime, I think they're most likely to make something work because... They're also there's you know the welterweight you know Terence Crawford if he's got to get a big name to come over like let's say Crawford beats Manny Pacquiao on pay per view and he can get an Errol Spence or a Keith Thurman to come over and fight you got to think that maybe Showtime will get one of you know either Gvazdik or Biterbiev to go over and fight the winner of the Stevenson Badu Jack fight um, you know maybe if Loma needs an opponent HBO might be helpful in that regard. And, and HBO, you know, could take a 175-pounder. They, they could get Gvazdik or Biterbiev to go over and fight, you know, whoever comes out of their sort of mini-tournament. But it's the only division out there where all three networks have real skin in the game. And, and it is this litmus test. Like, it, you know, again, if it doesn't happen here, it's just not going to happen. Um, moving on... News and notes. The May 12th article that I referenced earlier was Steve Kim. So Mikey Garcia now, you know, the reaction to his to Steve's article is Mikey Garcia wants that Lunaris fight. Um, <laughs> and this is one of those things. You talk about a network executive's take on this. One of the things all, maybe with the exception of the programmers on the network executive level, all network executives, especially marketing and, and what I was doing, you know, we want the fighters to get paid. So when Mikey Garcia comes out and he wants to take on Lenaris, he wants to get that spot, especially the way he's doing it going alone, I'm rooting for that. I'm rooting for disruptors who, you know, this won't be the model for everybody, but I think it's interesting to see when someone disrupts the market the way Mikey Garcia has done it. And what you realize for those types of people who go about it this way is you have to truly capitalize on your opportunities. Mikey Garcia should run in there. He should get that Lenaris fight. He should take it. If he wins impressively, he can get, it gives him a lot more leverage to fight Lomachenko on pay-per-view, you know, for essentially two belts at 135 pounds. And that would probably be on ESPN pay-per-view. If he wins that fight, I mean, he's that catapults him to the top of the pound-for-pound list and hopefully to, on his way to be one of the more bankable fighters. It makes his decision to leave top rank all the more worth it, even though he ironically might have to sign with top rank <laughs> to get that Lomachenko fight. But it just it puts him in a position to maximize his revenue and as someone who worked in the sport and you see what these guys go through I certainly don't have a level of empathy for that because it's not anything I ever did 
but you see the sacrifices they make and, and your, you, your awareness level for what happens in the ring is really high. So you just root for those guys to make as much money as possible and you, and you hope that they don't get screwed along the way. So Mikey Garcia, good for you, man. If, if you're really going to take that fight, I know you made some noise about it and you've been making a lot of noise about a lot of that stuff, but good for you if you can do that. So let's jump into the previews. Like I said earlier, these next two weeks of fights are great. The HBO Superfly 2 card, uh, Sorong Lisai versus Estrada, it's basically an even odds fight when you look at the, the betting odds for it. Also on that card, Carlos Quadras versus McWilliams Arroyo. Quadras is like a 4 or 5 to 1 favorite. Donnie Nietes versus Juan Carlos Rebeco. Uh, Nietes is like a 3 or 4 to 1 favorite. This, on paper, gives you everything you want from my perspective. The fights are well-matched. There's, there's lots at stake for all parties. Um, I think more importantly, and this, this goes, it, it sort of even differentiates when I talk about odds to victory. I'll give you an example. The B.J. Saunders-David Lemieux fight was also essentially an even-odds fight. But most smart people in the sport knew that it was either going to be David Lemieux winning by knockout or B.J. Sanders winning on rounds. You Now, I don't think anyone thought B.J. Saunders would be that dominant in his victory. And maybe there was a way where David Lemieux could knock him down three or four times, but he could go the distance. But, you know, Sor Rungvisai versus Estrada is not that. There's multiple paths to victory for both fighters. It's kind of everything you want in that somebody could, you know, Estrada could certainly take the lead on rounds. Sor Rungvisai could knock him out. Sor Rungvisai could also get a couple knockdowns. You know, he's infamous almost for using his head, so it's, you know, there, there could be that. You don't always want to see that, but it just adds a lot of different elements into anything can happen. Um, it's a great card all the way around. I think it's exciting TV fights just stylistically the way they're matched up. Kudos to HBO for making the fight. Quite frankly, we should be seeing stuff like this more often from them, especially after that horrible January card. Um, so, you know, I'll criticize when the time is right, but... Give credit where credit's due. This is, an, this is a great card from HBO. Um, totally give them as much credit as you can. March 3rd, two competing cards, really. And there's going to be a UFC that night as well, a pay-per-view. You know, not super significant, but semi-significant pay-per-view. So Sergey Kovalev fighting Igor Mikalkin, and then Dmitry Bivol taking on Sullivan Barrera for HBO. Kovalev is like a 15 or 20 to 1 favorite. Bevel is actually about a 3-1 to one favorite. Obviously, I don't like the opponent for Kova. I don't think anybody does. To cut main events and HBO some slack, Sullivan Brer was essentially offered the fight, and he chose to fight Dimitri Bevel instead of Kovalev. I'm not really going to delve into why, because I think the logic is, you know, he was complaining about the money, Here's my quick take on that. If you are Sullivan Brera, you don't get any leverage by beating Dmitry Bivol and then making your fight with Kovalev. Like, you don't get paid any more money for that. 
HBO's budget stays the same. I hate to break it to you. Even if you beat Bevel or not, the way you get leverage is by beating Sergei Kovalev. You get leverage by beating their man. Uh, so I would have just taken the Kovalev fight and not worried about how much you got paid. That's not really your payday. Your payday is if you beat Kovalev. And I think that Kovalev right now is vulnerable to be taken. And maybe he's going to take his training more seriously. Maybe he's going to get back to where he was before, you know, the war, the, especially the second war fight. Um, but, you know, obviously the Bevel Barrera fight is extremely intriguing it's a major test for Bevel. He might not necessarily look great based on the stylistic matchup here. You have to, you know, he's obviously favored with the bookmakers. I definitely favor him, but I'm really looking forward to the fight. It's a great fight. If Bevel, Bevel's the one guy, you know, I know I went through the division earlier. He's sort of the boogeyman here. He's, um, he's the one guy, if he comes out of the HBO sort of, morass of fighters that just exist there he could end up being you know i don't want to say a pay-per-view fighter but he could end up you know making some real big fights and he could be such a rising star that hbo would be willing to invest more in the division and and get some of the fighters maybe they do a little horse trading with espn maybe they get Badu jack to come over something like that he could he could be that guy that that necessitates some of those bigger fights being made. Um, Showtime, though, this is the card, and I, and I know I'm running longer than I usually wrong, uh, run for these podcasts, but you know there's a lot to talk about this week. Showtime, they have a triple header, and in my opinion, they have the biggest fight of the year, certainly so far, and it could end up being one of the best fights of the year, and, and maybe it won't be the biggest fight of the year in terms of build up and and big names involved yet but i think it's going to be one of the most significant uh deontay wilder luis ortiz in the you know main event for the wbc heavyweight title wilder is essentially like a two or three to one favorite it's really close odds much closer than you'd think for this fight based on name recognition you know also on the card jamal charlo and hugo centeno for some kind of interim bullshit title Charlo is like a six or seven to one favorite. And then Andre Durrell taking on uh, Jose Uzcateki for uh, another, I don't even know why they do some of these interim titles at 168, but, or I'm not even going to talk about interim titles and all that kind of stuff. Don't get me started. Um, the one thing I'll say about this, Durrell has not shown in the past that he's willing to do stuff like this, but this division will have a lot of opportunities to consolidate belts and consolidate, you know, sort of big fights and, and establish a real um, star after the, you know, after the World Boxing Super Series tournament is over. You've also got Zerdo Ramirez. You've got a couple other outliers hanging out there. If Durrell wanted to be a star, he, he would have his opportunity. This is a pick 'em fight, and and it could be you know another good fight. The first fight was halfway decent until obviously the the craziness in the ring. Um, HBO has the better undercard here, but you know 
the better overall fight, like I said earlier, is with Showtime. And I think there's a couple significant things. So first of all, I think Showtime has a real strong chance to beat HBO in the head-to-head ratings. And believe it or not, that has not happened that often. I mean, it happened last year when Frampton Santa Cruz outdrew Vargas Burchelt, which was in January, I believe. And it happened a few years ago, although I don't think it happened for the full card. But when Rigo fought, I think he fought Agbeko, and it was the night that James Kirkland also fought um, Glenn Tapia on HBO. And I believe it was maybe a Broner fight on Showtime or something like that. Some kind of significant fight on Showtime. The overall rating, I think HBO won, but because so many people turned the channel, uh, changed the channel when Rigo got on there, I know the main event actually went to Showtime. But this doesn't happen all that often. I, To be honest, I'm not even sure if it's ever happened up until the Frampton-Santa Cruz fight, you know, went directly head-to-head with Vargas Burchelt and clearly won. This is a chance for Showtime to make a real statement because even that, you know those fights last year, they were both good fight fan fights, you know, like hardcore fan fights, but they weren't like big names in the same way that, you know, Wilder could end up being. Um, so that's significant. You know, I also think that the Charlo, you know, HBO is really, they own the 160 division right now. Um, but let's see Charlo establish his footing, you know, at, at 160 pounds and maybe get a couple other wins on Showtime. But he's, you know, obviously if he wants to make real money, he's going to have to go over there. Um, you know, the main event, I think it's an incredible fight. It's certainly going to be Deontay Wilder's biggest test. I think... There's multiple paths to victories for both fighters. Eddie Hearn has has taken, I don't want to say a little bit of the luster off. He's actually doing what I think is the smart move. He's bringing Anthony Joshua over in the you know to the United States potentially to fight Jarrell Miller in August. That's what they're talking about. Um, what it really does though is I think it it makes this fight less about if Wilder can win and then move on to fight Joshua, it's, hey, this is Wilder's toughest test. This is his biggest fight so far. Uh, he, he probably won't be in as big of a fight as this, you know, or in a, any kind of bigger fight, obviously, until he fights Joshua. And I think if he wins impressively, you know, and AJ comes over and has a good debut in the United States, they can make that fight for the end of this year or, or certainly er, you know, early next year and legitimately, legitimately make it on pay-per-view. I, I detailed last week how I didn't think Anthony Joshua was ready for it. But you know, th- this is the big sort of moment for Wilder. If, if he wins impressively and then can go out there and get his name out in the public, you know, that's really going to matter. Um, and I think if if he doesn't do that, if this is just sort of a ho-hum victory or he loses or something like that, and maybe Anthony Joshua comes over, August doesn't always, it's not always the best month to come and do a great TV rating, you know, then maybe this fight, is, you know, we lose a year before we see this fight. So 
it's a big moment for Wilder. Give Showtime and give Steven Espinoza a lot of credit for making this fight. I certainly think come December, we could be looking back on this fight and, and saying to ourselves, wow, that was uh, the best fight of the year and, and one of the more significant fights of the year. You know, I don't want to delve too deep into this part of it, but I know people have talked about it, the, the drug concerns with Ortiz. As a network executive, this is a really tough thing to wade into. Um, there's a love-hate relationship that goes on with drug testing. You obviously want strong drug testing because you want clean fights. That's, that's part of the game. You want your product to be well-established as a clean product. However, if you look at what's happening with the UFC, there's like a reefer madness element to what they're doing. They're going crazy. And the fans are really hurt by it because you're missing out on too many big fights. And the drug testing is almost so stringent that you're not sure you've lost the credibility, at least in my mind. And, and I don't follow it closely enough to consider myself an expert by any means, but I do follow it closely. I think they've gone over that line and it's, and it's become too much of a, you know, well, were they, what exactly were they taking? Is that really cheating? You know, you, you question, I mean, in the UFC, you can fail a drug test by having too much caffeine in your system. There's a lot of drugs that any other human being can take you know many times it requires getting a prescription for them but you know in any other setting they're viewed as healthy things you can take for your body and under the usada rule set you're not allowed to do it now that's usada and that's what the ufc is doing and i think you know they obviously have their own reasons for doing it boxing obviously is not coming close to that um, I don't know exactly what Ortiz was accused of. The critique is that he wasn't penalized properly. Um, and I don't know. I mean, anytime fighters are taking steroids, you, know, you, want, to, you want to look at what these drugs actually do. I mean, anytime a fighter gets, you know, you're in a fight sport where there's brain trauma, you obviously don't want someone taking drugs that could, you know, where a knockout could cause real damage. I mean, that's kind of a network executive's worst nightmare. Something horrible happens on TV, and then it turns out one of the guys was juicing. But I think most people have this view of it as if it's Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa hitting home runs because they've just got these huge oversized muscles from taking steroids. In this day and age, most fighters, most athletes, and I mean, I think you see this in every sport, there's a lot of different reasons to take performance-enhancing drugs. I actually think the biggest benefit in fight sports is improving your endurance and recovery time, probably which allows you much better training. It allows you to get in much more work 
while you're leading up to a fight in terms of your ability to get into the gym, improve your conditioning and improve your technique with regards to training for a specific upcoming fight. It's not necessarily just about building your muscles, um, you know, but again, like I said, that's kind of the worst nightmare that can come out of all this. I don't think there's a great answer out there. Um, I don't know enough about what Ortiz took to say you don't deserve this fight. All I know is I really want to see this fight, and I think a lot of fight fans do as well. And I know he's passed a lot of tests in this training camp. I know I, you know, I've read an article where there's been like seven or eight tests. If he's clean for this fight, I know there wasn't a major penalty for him, but I guess the penalty was not getting the fight last year. If he, if he would have, if he were to win the fight. You know, he the penalty is he lost a, an opportunity for a rematch or an opportunity potentially to fight Anthony Joshua and make a lot more money. So, you know, that's really the potential penalty. It, I know that doesn't, that's not what everybody, especially the self-righteous crowd out there wants to hear. You know, but I do think you need to look at both sides of it. Um, Many fights can be lost that the fans really want to see to stuff like this. And if I could sit here and tell you that the entire world is doing VADA and the entire world of fighters is clean, you know, then that'd be one thing. But I think the reality is much closer to a lot of fighters are getting small advantages here and there. Um, and, and it's, you're policing it in a, in a really strange way. It's almost, you're favoring the people who just cheat a lot better than other fighters. And that's not really fair. And so I don't know the answer. And I think that is maybe too honest of a look, but I think it's worth, you know, it's worth noting going into this fight that Ortiz has passed all his drug tests and, and Wilder, you know, to my knowledge has never failed one. So, you know, you're going to get a clean fight now. And I think it is going to be one of the more significant fights of the year. So I know it's a lot. I normally don't like to, I think I'm in 45 minutes. I know I normally don't like to go this long. Uh, if you're stuck in traffic with a longer commute, there you go. There was a lot to get through this week, and, and it's two great weeks of, of upcoming fights, and enjoy them. So watch the HBO fights, watch the Showtime fights, maybe tune into the HBO undercard and watch the Showtime main event. I don't know. Maybe it works out that you can kind of see most of them uh, on March 3rd, but, but March 3rd is a great day to, to sit down and sort of park yourself in front of the TV and watch both fights. Or if you're in, in New York, pick one and go to it. They're, they should be both good, you know, really good atmospheres. Um, that's really all I got. Enjoy them, and I'll talk to you guys in two weeks. Bye.